By Good Friday, things had quieted down, and they all attended service, praying for all those whose lives were lost and thanking God for all those who would return. Katie thought that the simple sober service was appropriate for all the losses that had occurred over the last five years. That Sunday morning, Michael woke to the sound of bells. At first, he thought that they must be coming from the Protestant churches. Then he realized they were too loud. Then Katie woke up. Are those bells ringing? Yes, Michael said. Something must be wrong. The bell shouldn't be ringing right now. Michael got up and started getting dressed. What's going on? asked the sleepy Patrick. I'm not sure, but I'm going to find out. Michael left only returned within ten minutes. His face is white as snow, and his fist clicked in anger. He was shot. Confused, Katie asked, Who was shot? Lincoln. He was shot dead. No, she gasped. It can't be. They'll pay for this, Michael said, pacing the room in anger and frustration. Despite how much he hated the Republican Party, Michael had grown to love and admire Lincoln. Stories of how Lincoln had saved men from the firing squads were rampant throughout the tenements. Brian's nephew had fought in a battle after marching a full day and then fell asleep on guard duty from exhaustion, would have faced the firing squad had Lincoln not pardoned him. Lincoln pardoned another lad who had been arrested for desertion when he went home to help run a store while his father was ill. These were just two of the many stories that Michael had heard. Everyone in the tenements knew of such a story. No, Michael had no love for the men of Lincoln's party. But Lincoln was different. The story of how he had risen up from poverty based on his smarts and skills, not on who he was related to, was well known. It gave Michael and men like him hope. For a while, Michael moved around the place like a prowling lion, yelling at everyone and no one in particular. Finally, he grabbed his coat and went out the door. Katie was silent, still not believing what had happened. Within a week, things had gone from complete joy to low despair. The anger exploded throughout the city that evening. Men who were labeled as Southern sympathizers or copperheads were attacked and beaten. Their businesses were burned and looted. Michael came home with bloody knuckles and flecks of blood on his shirt. But it was look on his face that said more than the blood on his shirt. Silence filled the place for a while after he came home. Katie was not sure what to say, and Michael deep in thought. He knew that what he had done was wrong, but he was also not sorry, and wouldn't have changed anything. Like the whole city, Michael and Katie slept restlessly that night, each in their own nightmare. Eventually things started getting back to normal. Michael back went back to work on the docks. Katie continued her piecework, and the children went back to school. Everything was normal, except for it wasn't, because Michael Jr. was not home. Finally, the stories of the Grand Parade in Washington started to spread throughout the city. 80,000 men in the Army of Potomac, led by Meade, following the next day by 65,000 men of the Army of Tennessee, and the Army of Georgia, led by Sherman, had prayed throughout Washington. Now they were sure Michael Jr. would come home. 
but the waiting was agonizing. It was early Sunday morning, and Michael was headed back down to the dock, with the sun just starting to rise directly in his eyes. Coming toward him from the direction of the depot was a tall young man wearing a Union uniform. At first, because the sun was in his eyes, Michael didn't recognize him. But as he got closer, he burst into a smile. He began running toward him. He knew he looked foolish, but he didn't care. His prayers had finally been answered. His eldest son was home.